0: Hello. Welcome to the 2020 Construction Opioid Awareness Week. Uh, We are thrilled to have Rachel Cooper from the National Safety Council. Uh, NSC has been a leader in our country in the area of safety, and it's awesome that she's spending some time today to provide a toolbox talk on opioids. Hello, Rachel. Hello, John. Thanks for having me. All right. So, I'm just gonna spend a little bit of time today talking about the intersection of stigma and opioid use and opioid use disorder and how that can increase risk for opioid overdose. And as we all know, um, a lot of times people who are using opioids may be using other substances as well, and we don't talk about other types of drug overdoses as much, but stigma is one of those things that can really touch on a whole bunch of different different types of drugs, including alcohol, including marijuana, including cocaine. So just we can really try to generalize this to uh, beyond opioids as well. So a little bit about stigma. So stigma... Is, can be defined in many different ways. But in this particular case, we're really talking about opioid use or drug use or addiction as being seen as an attitude, behavior, or condition that is socially damaging or discrediting. And it is a barrier to accessing sorts of services, including prevention services. It's a barrier to accessing treatment services. It's a barrier to accessing recovery services and it's a barrier to accessing the kind of social and personal support that you might need from your friends or family so this kind of you know disgrace that's associated with this particular circumstance is something that that is a it's a societal stereotype and we really see that the stereotype manifests in people believing that people who have a substance or opioid use disorder people see them as immoral or dangerous sometimes lazy or that it might be a like a choice that you made to to have this addiction, and and then the re- the reactions that you know some people without substance use disorders have can range from fear to judgment to disgust to dismissiveness. And this is more than just the general public. This is also something that we see in medical professionals. This is stuff that we see in supervisors. This is stuff that we just see, you know, in in varying people across all demographics, across all job types, across all you know levels of society. So. When we're talking about a person who has a substance use disorder, that's a lot for somebody to navigate. And this stigma can really result in people who have a substance use disorder feeling shamed, feeling really isolated. Um, The timeliness of this conversation, given the natural social isolation that has been imposed by the COVID-19 pandemic cannot be overstated. We also know that people who are, are feeling the impacts of stigma and the shame are more likely to hide their drug use, and then that ends up in a situation where the drug use gets more problematic, gets actively worse before they're seeking help because they're forced to, maybe not when they first thought that maybe they needed some help. We don't like to label ourselves. We don't like to call ourselves names. We don't like to think that we are, you know, that we are Um, weak or that we are doing something wrong, it can be really hard to navigate even that internally. So that self stigma is a barrier as well. So one of the things that, you know, we, we really want to focus on is, is what we can do to really reduce that type of stigma, right? So not only the self stigma, that's maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, but it's not me. It can't be me. I am not that type of person, but also the societal barriers to getting health, and health treatment and other sorts of help, et cetera. So in particular with that last bit, we do know from the 2017 National Survey on Drug Use and Health that stigma is a huge barrier to seeking treatment. So almost 40% of respondents in that survey indicated that they didn't seek treatment for reasons related to stigma and bias which was up from 25 percent in 2016. specifically over one in five respondents highlighted the fear of their negative impact on employment status as a barrier to seeking treatment as well so you can see that this really has to come from the employer as well because if they're scared that they're going to lose their job they're not going to come forward we all need to survive and if you're thinking that you're going to not be able to pay rent or buy food and, you know, if you're going to disclose something that that might impact that, you might not do anything. You might not seek the help that you need. So as individuals, some of the things that we can do is just we can, we have to remember that our words matter. And it might feel like we don't, we never, we never really intend, right? We're not intentionally stereotyping or stigmatizing people who have an SUD. We're not, We're not intentionally doing anything like that, but we are all human. We all have our implicit unconscious or internal biases. We all have the stuff that we kind of say without thinking. And most of the time we just, we're just talking. Right. And that's fine. But sometimes it can have more of an impact that we think. So, you know, if we're reading a story about something in the newspaper or something online, you know, and maybe, you know, reactions of judgment, you know, against somebody who has a substance use disorder, you don't know who's in the room, right? We have our internal teams at work, right? We don't know what people are necessarily going through. And it might not even be your coworker. It might be their loved one. And they're thinking, well, crap, I don't know what to say right now. I don't know how to talk about this. So the reactions that we have to these stories, um, that, that, that can be, you know, our internal stuff, which is fine. We're all human. It's not a judgment thing. But you know, making sure that we're not um, outwardly showing like any fear, making sure that we're really like, actively listening and you know you might not be the right person to help that person but maybe you can link them to support get them to a supervisor get them to hr or an eap you don't have to do it yourself you don't have to fix the problem but making sure that when somebody's talking to you you can have an open ear is really really important secondarily um, for those of us who work more on the benefit side for those of us who are are understanding a little bit more on the medical side you know medications for addiction treatment uh, methadone vivitrol buprenorphine etc Two of those drugs, the buprenorphine and the methadone, are um, what we call opioid agonists, which means that they are controlled doses of opioids, and they're intended much like um, we do for tobacco. They're just intended to wean people off in smaller doses of the drug that somebody is addicted to in a safe way so that they're not buying drugs on the street, right? And that that makes perfect sense on a lot of levels, but there is a certain stigma out there against medications for addiction treatment as well, the substituting one drug for another, even though we know that medications for addiction treatment are the gold standard and do reduce mortality really significantly. So in the construction industry, it's, that's a really complicated subject because opioids can impair. And that's not something that we can look past lightly. And that's where safety teams and HR and leadership need to come together to figure out what's a reasonable accommodation, what people can do. But to have the employee themselves actually disclose that they're on medi- a medication for addiction treatment, that still has to come through a culture of openness and a culture of support. Because if they don't tell you, there's nothing that you can do, right? Mm-hmm. Lastly... You know, we we know that we all have families. We all have things that have happened in our families that we don't want to share with outsiders. When families have someone in their family, a loved one, who has an opioid use disorder, they may try to keep it a secret to avoid that judgment, to avoid the embarrassment. They might not reach out for that social help and support that is also really important. There are a lot of stories out there and we all know how painful it can be to have an, a person in your family who's not doing well. And it distracts you when you're at work. It's hard to turn off that worry and that fear. It's something that you know having a coworker who knows about it, who can check in and be like, hey, how, how's your mom doing? Or like, hey, I know that you had a tough weekend um, with your kid. You know what's the update? Is there anything I can do? That kind of language, that kind of openness and support, especially with addiction, that can open the door to, to having a, a, a social support network that even if you're not the one with the addiction, it can really, really help. So a lot of this has to do with our own behaviors and the own little things that we can do as individuals to really support um, the people in our lives who, you know, professionally or personally may be going through some sort of substance use disorder, opioid use disorder, etc., we also know that this can really manifest down the line as if people aren't, you know, if people have relapsed or they have fallen out of treatment, which is something that we're seeing more with the COVID 19 pandemic, people don't want to share that they've relapsed. They don't want to look like what they've been trying to do um, is weak, that, that they haven't, that they failed. And even if that's not words that you would ever use, you know, that can be a feeling that people have in their mind. But when people, are using alone especially after not using opioids for a long time that's when we really see a huge huge risk in terms of the risk for opioid overdose so being able to be a person that somebody can confide in to be able to say hey i'm not doing well this is really frontline type of stuff sometimes it's do you have narcan i'm going to call and check in on you in in 20 minutes what's going on you know what can i do to get you some help this is the kind of stuff when people are really low this is where they need the most help and when people feel isolated and they use alone this is where people, there's nobody around to save their life so it's important you know that that, that these personal and professional connections whatever they may be um that they, they can really make a difference so you know as far as 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 far as uh, what an employer can do, I mean, it's a slightly different story, right? But obviously, exactly what we're doing right now, openly discussing and providing education on substance use disorders and opioid use disorders. This can really help reduce stigma and educate. You know, we can be advocates in our communities. We can partner with um, community organizations. We can know what the local resources that help for recovery are. We can make sure that we give equal access to all different types of treatment, you know, through our health care plans. We can make sure that our policies support employees who might need to take off an hour early to go to a group. You know, we can make sure that all of our employee assistance programs are truly confidential that and if not anonymous, this is also really important so that people can actually get the support that they need. You know, we can make sure that our policies allow for recovery and the potential relapse. Most people relapse. It's not abnormal. We don't talk about it as much, but most people relapse. And that doesn't have to be a stigmatized thing. And then we can make sure that, you know, again, we're all using, you know, non-stigmatizing language, avoiding, you know, some of those horrible labels that, are really stigmatizing and and most of us wouldn't, you know, we're not going to put the word junkie into a policy, but if we say it out loud, then that, you know, that's what people hear and that's what they remember. So there's a lot of different things that we can do. Um, We can all be part of changing the narrative about substance use disorders and opioid use disorders. We can all be compassionate, we can all help. And even when you're having a tough day, sometimes just being an ear can be really helpful. And also for those of us who have a list of local resources, That's always something to keep in your back pocket. If you don't have one, I highly encourage you kind of assess your community and just see what's out there. There's behavioral health and and treatment hotlines that can, can really be supportive, which even if you just give somebody a phone number, it might be able to save their life. So thanks, John, for having me. Yeah, thank you for helping out with this year's Opioid Awareness Week. And I'd just like to conclude by saying for all employers that hear this and all construction workers that hear this, please do yourself a favor and check out National Safety Council's uh, website, ncs.org. They have excellent resources for employers on it. So thank you, Rachel.